everyone, it's Caitlin Luna, host of Speaking of Psychology. This episode was recorded during APA's Technology, Mind, and Society Conference held in October 2019 in Washington, D.C. I was on maternity leave during that time, so my colleague Kim Mills was a guest host. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to Speaking of Psychology, a bi-weekly podcast from the American Psychological Association that explores the breadth and depth of psychological science. I'm your host, Kim Mills. Do you ever get the feeling at work that you're being watched? To a certain degree, you are, and it's possible that you will soon be tracked even more closely by your employer, whether that's through video surveillance, GPS location tracking, or internet monitoring. If that disturbs you, you're not alone. Our guest today has been doing research into how much workplace surveillance is acceptable to employees, and at what point do people feel that the nosy boss has gone too far? David Tomchek is a product solutions consultant at Aon, a global professional services firm. He is also working toward his PhD in industrial organizational psychology at the George Washington University, where he has researched the influence of electronic performance monitoring on employee behaviors. His interests also include personal environment fit, occupational health psychology, and corporate social responsibility. Welcome, David Tomchek. Thank you. Glad to be here. So why do our bosses want to track what we're doing all day? I mean, Americans have a reputation for high productivity, which presumably means that we work pretty hard. Is that not right? Uh, I would definitely agree that we do work hard. Um, I think in terms of what we have going on in the current sphere of big data, um, we have a lot of technologies out there that are capable of gathering large amounts of employee behavioral data in relatively short periods of time and relatively easily. to add on to that, we have uh, artificial intelligence, algorithms, and machine learning that can kind of wrangle these big sets of, uh, of data and perhaps give us some meaningful implications about employee behavior. Uh, whether or not that actually is indicative of employee performance um, is sometimes subject to, to criticism. But uh, I think what employers want to do right now is to u- make the best use of all of that data that they have and uh, use that to inform productivity and performance or even guide safety or health behaviors. So what are employers interested in learning through these tactics? Are there, are their motivations beneficent for the most part, or do we even know? That's, that's the big question. So um, what we find is that a lot of organizations don't actually tell employees that they're being monitored. And they don't tell them exactly, and if they, do, if they are being monitored, they don't tell them when, how, or in what context they are being monitored. I think what a lot of organizations are hoping are, is that there are some sort of uh, small employee behaviors uh, that can sort of give, give some sort of credence to other aspects of job performance that we've traditionally tried to capture just by performance appraisal. So for example, we have some organizations that are looking at facial expressions, uh, voice intonation in meetings, seeing how frequently people talk up or uh, talk over other individuals. Um, And a lot of that can be good. We can tell somebody after a meeting and say, hey, uh, judging from uh, our sociometric badge that we had on you, it seems like you're talking over individuals quite a bit. You're not giving your followers enough uh, opportunity to chime in with any sort of creative problem solving that they have. So in that circumstance, we, we can get very minute aspects of job performance, saying th- these are the specific situations in which perhaps uh, you could work on something instead of maybe saving all of that for the end of the year performance appraisal where some of those small behaviors might go overlooked. So a lot of what we're looking at is 
Is there meaning from very small aspects of behavior and how can that inform job performance? That's got me going down two two trails here. <laughs> One is, first of all, you mentioned biometric badges. Mm-hmm. But can you explain that? And I mean, are, are they happening already? Are people wearing these things? Um, so, so they call these uh, sociomet- sociometric. Sorry, badges. sociometric. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is uh, something that was started, I believe, in 2015 by MIT. They were looking at sociometric badges and looking to see how often we could get such rich forms of data intra-individual. So lots of performance or, or behavioral data within the individual. And what they what they're supposed to do is that so, uh, an individual wears this badge, perhaps around their neck, with a lanyard. Um, and this badge is just continually taking in um, any sort of audio information that they have uh, within a meeting. Um, I don't think that this is used widely right now, but if you think about where certain uh, technologies are going nowadays, where a lot of them have these sorts of capabilities, when we think about all the things that your smartphone can do, um, the modern iPhone has facial recognition, um, it has a very good microphone, uh, it tracks all of your internet behaviors. What we have right now are technologies that are going to be capable of kind of taking in a lot of this information. And I don't think it's used very often now, but certainly there is some research um, indicating that it is trending towards that direction. So the other path my mind was going down when you started talking about this was, I mean, you know, I've worked in many offices and there are people who talk over other people. I mean, we all kind of know that, you know, Joe over there is a jerk in meetings. So is this just giving the employer some kind of coverage to be able to say, I have data that proves that you're a jerk in meetings? Yeah. So, uh, I think a lot of people have a, a resistance to criticism, especially anything that's negative. Um, and when you can actually show them the data and say, hey, 60% of the time that you're talking, you're talking over somebody, or you have just repeated their idea and sort of steamrolled that individual, people might be more willing to accept that when there's actual evidence to support the fact that perhaps they're behaving incorrectly. Um, but again, these are technologies that are not used um, extensively at this point, but they are kind of burgeoning. So the kinds of places that are using it now, are we just talking about tech companies? Is this like a Silicon Valley thing? Yeah, yeah. So it would be very, very small usage in very uh, tech-friendly companies, yes. So your research looked at the, the limits in the minds of employees. And what, what did you find? How much spying, if you will, is too much? Yes. Yeah, so um, what we wanted to look at with our research was essentially, where do expectations of monitoring come from? We have a lot of research saying that monitoring um, is an invasion of privacy. It's considered not fair to employees. But we're kind of curious about how that differs based on the individual or the job that they're in or the context of the organization. So we looked at our research from the psychological contract literature, which basically states that individuals have these unstated expectations of their employer. They basically expect their employer to treat them with respect, and they expect that their employer um, trusts them enough to do the job. And so what we wanted to see is, okay, if you're being monitored in every possible way, um, let's say the amount of EPM increases, you are... So EPM is... EPM is electronic performance monitoring. Um, so perhaps you're being, you have your computer activity monitored, your emails being read, uh, there's audio video surveillance. As, as that amount of EPM increases, we wanted to basically say, okay, it's going to be a violation of, of the psychological contract. And uh, this might lead individuals to behave in a way that is actually contradictory 
to what EPM tries to do. What EPM tries to do is direct people towards certain behaviors. Uh, when we monitor something, we are basically giving a signal to the employee saying that this matters. Um, what we find, though, is that as the level of monitoring increases, the likelihood that a person experiences that as a psychological contract violation increases and actually leads them to withhold effort from the organization. So we're getting the exact opposite of what EPM is trying to do. We have people who might look at this violation and say, okay, well, I'm going to take longer on my breaks. I might show up late. Um, and they do this in very covert ways rather than overt. Um, they, they do ways that, because of course they are being monitored, their actions are being monitored and they don't have the ability to, you know, steal from the organization or anything like that. So perhaps they steal time from the organization. So what are the differences among, um, job types or industries, you're looking at that as well? Yeah, so we looked at that from uh, two different angles. We looked at first uh, from the job attitudes angle, which would be uh, job autonomy. This is the perception that an individual has over the discretion that they have over uh, maybe scheduling their work, how they go about a certain task and so forth. So what we found was that um, when EPM and the person's perception of job autonomy match, that's when we have the least amount of uh, psychological contract violation. So basically what that's saying is that individuals who have high perceptions of job autonomy, the belief that they can do um, their work as they wish, when that, when that is coupled with um, low EPM, so uh, these individuals are not being monitored heavily, they are the least likely to report any sort of psychological contract violation. Now that uh, affect strongly increases when you increase the number of monitoring and limit that person's ability to do, to do their job. And interestingly enough, uh, when people have low perceptions of autonomy, uh, EPM does not appear to have any sort of effect. Um, those people are just as likely to um, perceive violation as you know, a high autonomy individual in a high EPM uh, situation. So what rights do employees have in the workplace right now in terms of what can and can't be monitored? Are there, are there legal limits or is this all just sort of a brave new world? It's an interesting time right now because of the uh, general data protection regulations from uh, the EU. So if we look at it just from the U.S., um, employees do not have a lot of rights uh, the privacy laws have not been updated since 1984, with the exception of, I think, California has recently had some sort of privacy updates to their laws. But again, 1984, that doesn't really give us um, a lot of leeway in terms of what's going on with how people are being monitored now. The thing is, is that a lot of uh, organizations are becoming global or uh, international, and so they actually have to adopt uh, GDPR um, rules. So... What we'll be seeing soon is that uh, organizations will be taking this a lot more seriously or uh, at, at least address monitoring up front. But right now, employees in the United States, considering if it's just a, a, an American company, do not have many rights. Um, there's actually no law that says that they need to be informed when they are being monitored, which is um, a huge problem, especially from the literature side of 
And is that happening in the companies that are doing it right now? Are they revealing to employees, let's say when you, you know, go to human resources, you've accepted the job and they give you all the paperwork that you have to fill out. Is there a form that says, oh, and by the way, you, you know, we're going to be monitoring you. We're not only watching whether you're shopping on Amazon all day, but we also want to know what your skin conductance is and we're tracking your eye movements or, you know, whatever they might be looking at. Yeah, I believe there's a statistic out there that says about 20% of organizations actually fully inform their employees about when, where, and how they're being monitored. So this does not really happen very often. Um, I can say from my experience uh, working for various organizations, I've never had that conversation. But I think uh, right now we can just kind of assume uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, I, everything is being monitored. Uh, we have records of everything, every single mouse click, any any sort of action that you do on your computer is recorded and can be accessed at any time. So I think some people will, uh, regardless, just sort of operate under I am being monitored. I just expect it. And our research actually supports that, that a lot of individuals say that I just expect to be monitored nowadays. I don't have to be told. I, I know that things are being recorded and can be accessed later. Are there differences uh, among age cohorts? I'm thinking just millennials. I mean, people who are digital natives who kind of grew up in this world, that they seem to be less protective of their personal privacy than, say, baby boomers. Are you finding that in terms of being watched on the job? We haven't actually explored age effects, but there uh, has been some research out there that has kind of showed uh, in, in a comical way how much um, young people are willing to give up some of their personal information for very small things. Uh, for one example, uh, they found that college students were very willing to give up personal information for a free slice of pizza. And so uh, I think there will be some differences. I think you, there's a generation uh, of people growing up that have constantly had access to a phone that records their conversations. Um, and I think they're getting very used to it. But I don't have any research to support that. Maybe something we'll look into in, in, in the future. So are, are people looking at the right things at this point? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I believe where, where I work, they've implemented something that sort of looks at your calendar and maybe your keystrokes. I'm not sure what they're looking at. And they kind of tell you whether you, you had a day where you were sort of relaxed compared to other days. But does that matter? I mean, maybe I was super productive because I was off thinking really hard and I wasn't touching my computer much that day. But how can you tell? Right. So that is a question of whether or not what is being monitored actually means anything. Uh, I think this is the big problem right now is that because we have access to the data, we must try to find some sort of meaning from it. But like you just illustrated, uh, performance or uh, how people go about their job related behaviors is a very complex thing. Uh, just because I can see that you're free doesn't mean that you're not doing anything. It doesn't mean that you might be less stressed. You could have uh, personal aspects of work that are coming into play as well. And so I think uh, organizations are getting closer to monitoring the right things for the right reasons, as long as it's job related and it's not, you know, looking at your personal activity on your personal smartphone or anything like that. I think these can be meaningful sources of data, but we just have to be very careful and very deliberate with how we, they're used. So are they looking at our smartphones now? I mean, you know, my, my boss certainly has my cell phone number. I think the whole world has my cell phone <laughs> number. So who's, who else is watching me and what are they looking for? So uh, w we typically talk about uh, this in terms of like company issued devices. So uh, there was a case a couple years ago where uh, an employee was required to download an app that 
would help her with uh, tr keeping track of clients, um, but it, it sort of took location information uh, at, at the same time. Uh, and what this amounted to is the fact that her employer could see how fast she was driving on the highway at any given point. And so those are the sorts of things where it's, it's unintentional um, with monitoring, but that can leave the employee uh, feeling extremely violated or invaded of their privacy. Uh, when it's not used for its intention, that's when we find employee uh, reactions to monitoring to be the, the most negative. So what are the next things that you're looking at? So we want to continue looking at uh, where expectations of monitoring occur and what are the conditions under which monitoring might be accepted. So we can think of monitoring somebody's sweat levels or biometric levels as something that's very invasive. And I think you'd have very few people who'd be willing to give that information to their employer. But what are the circumstances where that's not the case? Uh, if I'm monitoring your sweat levels and able to give you a text um, at three o'clock saying uh, you've sweat a ridiculous amount on your construction job, you need to drink some water before you pass out. Now, the purpose right there is very job related. It's very employee focused. It's safety. It's health. And so that might be a condition where something uh, when we just think of it, uh, it, it might be invasive, but might be acceptable in one situation versus the versus the next. So that's something that we really want to look at. We've expanded uh, our checklist of how all the people can be, uh, all the ways that people can be monitored, uh, to incorporate some of these newer things like biometric or, or facial recognition, and are looking uh, through qualitative data to understand, you know, if somebody thinks that this is sometimes acceptable, what are those circumstances? Great. Well, that's all really interesting. I appreciate your coming here today and talking to us about the research that you're performing and look forward to learning more about uh, whether my boss is watching me or, <laughs> or, or not. <laughs> but I'm going to certainly be a lot more vigilant. Uh, before we go, I just want to give everyone a reminder that we want to hear from you. So email your comments and ideas to speakingofpsychology at apa.org. And please consider giving us a rating in iTunes. That's really helpful for us. Speaking of Psychology is part of the APA Podcast Network, which includes other informative podcasts such as APA Journal's Dialogue about new psychological research and progress notes about the practice of psychology. You can find all our podcasts on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also go to our website, www.speakingofpsychology.org, and listen to more episodes. I'm Kim Mills with the American Psychological Association.